0: You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 2. The book of Titus, chapter 2, we started it on Wednesday night. We'll look at Titus, chapter 2 today, and then this coming Wednesday night, we'll be looking at Titus, chapter 3. A mother woke up her son on a Sunday morning and told him that he needed to get ready to go to church. The son replied to his mother, he didn't want to go to church that morning. I just just don't want to go. She told told him that was just nonsense. Sunday morning you need to get up and you need to go to church. But mom, he replied, everybody there hates me. The sermons are boring and none of my friends ever come. His mother replied, son, first of all, not everybody hates you. Only a few people. And second, you need to understand that the sermons mean a lot to a lot of people. And if you listen to them, you'd be surprised at how good they are in helping people. And third, you have lots of friends at church. They're always having you over to their house. And, well, finally, you've got to go because you're the pastor. <laughs> so when I was growing up, I can remember in the house or houses that we lived in, Sunday morning would come around and I hear my mom yelling up the stairs. Jimmy She called me Jimmy. Unless I was in trouble and then it was James. (laughs) It was very clear. It was you know very definitive that if she called me James, look out, something's awry. It's like what did I do this time, you know? But she would say, It's time to get up, get your clothes on, we're going to church basically saying, wake up, get dressed, got to go to church, go to church. This morning I've entitled to this teaching, wake up, dress up, go to church, go to church, go to church. Well, what does that mean? It's a simple principle, we, we, we all grasp it, we are the church, the believers, the Christians, those who who have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. But isn't it funny that we always refer to this place as the church, don't we? It's this building, this building. It's the church. I'm going over to the church. I'm going to go to the church, to do this, do that. I'm at the church. It's not the church. It's just a building. We all know and understand that we, as believers in the Lord, we make up the church, Right? So we don't go to church. We are the church. So if we're the church, we know what our building looks like. But if we're the church, what do we look like? What do we look like as the church? In the book of Titus, Paul gives us a couple pictures. One is what the church shouldn't look like. And two is what the church should look like. So Paul's saying to us this morning, wake up. Dress up, be the church. Now, on Wednesday night, we took a look at the first chapter of of Titus. We saw Paul's exhortation to Titus regarding the problems in the church on the island of Crete. But if the church is not a building, the church is the people, then actually it's the problems with the people, is it not? Because the people make up the church. So, Paul, writing this letter to Titus, this young pastor, this elder, this bishop, all three of which are interchangeable terms, is what we looked at Wednesday night to indicate someone that is a shepherd or an overseer or a leader. We're going to hear that word a lot in this study, leader. And Paul exhorts Titus, and we saw that in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Titus, to Set in order the things that are lacking and to appoint elders in every city. And this was needed because of the condition of the church on Crete, the condition of the people on the island of Crete. So Paul commanded, set in order the things that are lacking. So evidently, Paul looked at the church and said, there's some things that are not quite right. There's some things that are out of place here. So set in order. In the Greek, it's a medical term called ortho. And you've heard of that, orthopedics and all those different kinds of things. But ortho would mean to straighten or to fix something that's broken. So obviously Paul's referring to something's broken in the church on Crete. So set in order these things that are, that are lacking. What, what things are lacking? Well, obviously they were doing some things wrong and they were probably some things they weren't doing at all. So Paul's going to encourage them through this letter to get those things in order and to do the things that are lacking. Now we also talked about two terms that are used throughout the book of Titus in all three chapters where we're talking about good works, that is that what you do that accomplishes good, and sound doctrine, applying the truth of God's word. But he also says to Titus in this verse to appoint elders we talked about that for a little bit how important that is that we understand what scripture is saying to appoint elders what's oh, maybe different than what we've heard in the past because pastor jim i came from a church that actually voted on that you know it was like okay who do you think's a be a great guy to be an elder and we see that that's out of order titus is, is to set things in order and appoint elders So the leadership of the church appoints the elders. It's not a congregational vote. You don't see those two terms, congregational vote, used anywhere in Scripture. Certainly not in a positive way. (laughs) If you look at the children of Israel, there was a congregational thing going on there, but it didn't always turn out that great, right? So uh, to appoint elders. And in that, we looked at the necessary qualities that Paul lays out to Titus for what an elder should look like. As an overseer, as an elder, as a bishop, as a pastor, as a leader. Those three qualities fall into or those qualities fall into three categories, and we looked at what those were: commitment, character, and commission. In Titus 1 through uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, we see Paul's greeting to Titus, and we get a picture of Paul himself calling himself an apostle and a bondservant and these different things. And without a doubt, from all the other scriptures that we have regarding the Apostle Paul, we know that he was a committed believer, right? That's, that's without argument. He was committed. You don't, you don't get stoned and left for dead or jailed and put in prison many times with a soft commitment, do you? <laughs> it's kind of, eh, I don't know if I want to follow this Jesus thing. You know, no, he's committed. But it also in those list of qualifications that should be present in a, in a man as an elder we see the character come out. So commitment and also character. And that character would be those qualifications that we see that's evident in a man as an elder. And then also commission. Commitment, character, and commission some of what the man is to do as an elder or a leader. There's going to be some instructions that follow that in the latter part of chapter 1. So recognizing, of course, that the office of an elder, again, is specific to a man... By God's design. That's what God says. Uh, if you're here this morning, you don't like it. I'm sorry. That's what God says. Take it up with Him. Good luck with that. But anyway, commitment, character, and commission. And these, this office of an elder is specific to a man. But these qualifications that we see, if you read through them, you go. Wow, we should all have those qualifications. I mean, they're all good things. They're all things that we should be or not be, and they should guide us in our walk with the Lord. So, all those same qualifications should be exhibited by all Christians, by all people that say uh, they uh, know and love the Lord. Therefore, qualifying them all, male and female, to be leaders in the church. And we see that active in the church today. Yeah, there are elders in place, but we have... Uh, ladies that serve in Sunday school and in nursery and all these different areas of ministry that are just invaluable to the to the body of Christ. And men that do things, men that work work with their hands and uh, serve here in many different ways. Um, the the hands that bring those delicious donuts every Sunday morning, you know. I mean, it's special. It's a good work, okay? That's a good work. I think it's a good work. So, now if you're here on Wednesday evening... Uh, you know that due to the time constraints we had, I managed to set a new land speed record for covering the last seven verses of Titus. We just, I mean, we cruised through those last seven verses. Not that they weren't important, but I'm looking at the clock and going, those dear ladies that are in the children's ministry and the nursery, (laughs) I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble here. So we moved through that quickly. But I knew that today we would be Looking at that again in brief, um, <laughs> some of you are going, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but we, we, we are. We're going to spend a little time on that, and then we'll move on into chapter 2. So these seven verses that we looked at document for us not only the spiritual condition of the churches on Crete, but certainly the spiritual condition of those people. And Paul is exhorting Titus and those that he would appoint as leaders on how to deal with the situations and what to do with the situations, So he's commissioning them to do this. Think about it, if you will. You, you know, Titus gets this letter. He's very excited to get this letter. And it's going to be for the instruction of the churches on Crete. Kind of the guidelines, the rules. I want, Here's what I want you to do, Titus. Titus would read that, but he would also pass it on to the leaders that were in place, maybe even reading it publicly to the congregation that was there. And... Um, As we we saw in chapter 1, there's some pretty scathing things to be said about the people. You know, Uh, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, uh, you know, all these things. And, oh, thanks for building up the body of Christ, Paul, you know. But these were things that were going on that needed to be corrected. So Paul is writing this letter for that purpose. He says, I want you to be committed, like myself, like Titus and the rest of the uh, disciples. Be of good character, by these guidelines that I'm laying out for you. And I commission you to do this task where you are in those churches. So be committed, be of good character, and now I'm commissioning you. Well, commissioning you to do what? Well, he wants us to go and do in this manner. So uh, look at chapter 1, verse 9, if you will. It says, "...holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. By sound doctrine, convict those who contradict. Then look at verse 13. They just talk about the Cretans being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul says this testimony is true. They are. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. But what's Paul saying there in verse 9 he's saying here's what i'm commissioning you to do exhort and convict those who contradict by sound doctrine and rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith or that they would have sound doctrine so exhort convict and rebuke those that contradict as it relates to sound doctrine so what's sound doctrine we've thrown that term out there now quite a bit wednesday night and this morning what is sound doctrine Webster's Dictionary defines it as something taught. Anything that you teach somebody else could be de- uh, referred to as doctrine. Now, granted, in the church, we look at it as the doctrines of the faith. So we have those doctrines that we, that we teach. But uh, some of you are plumbers, some of you are carpenters, whatever your background might be, you could teach someone your doctrines of, of what it is that you do. So it's, it's the why we do, the what we do stop for a second on that one. I've like, got to get this right. The why we do, the what we do. Because it's God's instruction. It's simply put, the why we do, the what we do. That's doctrine. Sound doctrine, in the way that it refers to God's Word, of course, would be teaching His truth correctly. Okay? Sound doctrine. Teaching people God's Word, teaching them to walk out their Christian life correctly. Don't do this, do this, as we saw in chapter 1. And we're going to get into chapter 2 and see... There's a whole list of do's that we should do. So now he carries on that command with the challenge as we move into Titus chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So as we study through the book of Titus, we talked about that chapter 1 deals with leadership. Leadership in the church. Chapter 2 deals with discipleship discipleship in the church and chapter three we're going to look at Wednesday night relationship in the church so I'll do it again this morning I did it Wednesday night by a show of hands how many of you have been a part of what you would call a bad church experience at some point in time how many are in one now (laughs) great great good to see that good I'm encouraged by that makes it a lot easier to teach the rest of this, knowing that you think you're in a good church. So, chapter 1 deals with leadership in the church, chapter 2, discipleship in the church, and chapter 3, relationship in the church. So I submit to you that those bad churches that you say that you've been a part of, and isn't it scary because you go, some, you know, somewhere in the country, there is the worst church. Just by definition, there has to be the worst church. There's a lot of bad ones out there, and you say, this has got to be the worst church and the scary thing is they're having services this morning too, you know. That's what's really scary. However, those churches that you've been a part of where you have had a bad experience, I submit to you that one or if two or if not all three of these particular things were not being doing, done correctly. Leadership, discipleship, and relationship. They're falling short in one or any number of those three things, okay? So, leadership guides This is a good point for you. If you've got a pencil, write this down. I think this is really good. Leadership guides, discipleship grows, and relationship gives. So a good motto for a church is that we're a guiding, growing, giving church all wrapped in love. We're guiding in love, we're growing in love, and we're giving in love. So again, we read chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, that would be Titus, and all who read or hear this letter, as for you, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. So let's take a look at the things that are not sound doctrine, just to define things a little bit better, better for us, the things that we shouldn't do or how we shouldn't look as a church. And you can see those two things in two verses. I say it's between the doctrines. And the reason I say that is because we see sound doctrine in verse 9, chapter 1. We see sound doctrine mentioned again, chapter 2, verse 1. So in between there, between the sound doctrines, uh, what's this list, if you will, of things not to do or things not to look like or to be as a church? Starting with uh, verse 10... Starting with verse 9, the very end there, it says, those who contradict, there would be those who contradict. Then verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. What a nice picture of the church on the island of Crete, huh? Just go, wow, something's not quite right here. So, let's look at that list again. insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, those of the circumcision, running their mouths, misleading, dishonest, promoting Jewish fables, promoting the commandments of men, turning from the truth, they're defiled, they're unbelieving, they're professing to know God, but they deny Him, abominable, disobedient, disqualified. That's quite a list. And all those things certainly being contrary to what we would term as sound doctrine in the church. Now, (laughs) Paul's giving us a picture of what these churches look like. Can you imagine, uh, uh, as a pastor, someone comes up to me and says, well, if you could define your church, how would you define it? Well, they're insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, those of circumcision, blah, 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 blah. you know, listen all those things. It's like, not a very good picture of your church. And obviously, I kind of wonder about your uh, giftedness as a pastor, given that, you know, going on. So uh, keep in mind that they were not all that way, though. Okay, because Paul exhorts Titus to what? Appoint elders. So there must have been some there that were their walk with the Lord was exemplary enough to be recognized as those that could be elders in the church. And also keep in mind that it's not church singular geographically because Paul says appoint elders in every city. How many cities? We don't know. They don't give us that indication, but certainly more than one because it's plural. So there could have been up to 20, uh, who knows, just in, in the cities. And within these cities, because they have all these problems, we deal with church splits today. Do we not think that they didn't deal with them back then as well? Of course they were. So in these cities where they met in homes most of the time, there was probably a group meeting over here, a group meeting over here, a group over here, and they all had their little subtle differences based on something that had gone wrong from that original church. And so uh, there is a remnant there a remnant that loves God and they're faithful to Him and they're they're doing their best to hold fast to sound doctrine. So Titus was commanded to appoint elders or leaders from those that held to those things. We see in chapter uh, 1, those verses 10 through 16, how sound doctrine was not applied. And now we're going to go into chapter 2 and look at how sound doctrine is applied in the church. That is, how do you teach it? Those of you who are leaders now... Those of you who are leaders, to be what method is to be used to apply sound doctrine and good works in the church. So, think about this, if you will. There was a man who was confined to his bed due to a lingering illness. And as he would gaze through his window, he would expectantly watch this cocoon of a beautiful species of butterfly as it lay on the windowsill. The days passed, and it came time for the butterfly to begin his struggle from the cocoon. But it was a long, hard, painful battle. As the hours went by, the toiling insects seemed to make almost no progress at all. Finally, feeling sorry for the seemingly trapped little creature, the man thought, I'll show mercy on the poor thing and help. So he took a pair of scissors and snipped out an opening in the cocoon, making it larger. Then the butterfly crawled out, but that's all it ever did was crawl. You see, it's the pressure of the struggle trying to get out of that cocoon that pushes the life-giving fluids necessary into the wings to give the butterfly strength then to open its wings and fly. The man and his misguided mercy had prevented the struggle that was necessary. The insect never to become what it was created to be. It was never able to fly on wings above the, uh, the earth. Instead, it was confined to spending its brief little life just crawling in the dust. Unfortunately, there are too many believers in churches who are stunted in their growth because they refuse to go through the struggle that they would incur from a life of obedience to God. As a result, they live in an arrested state of spiritual development. Like the butterfly, they are confined to a life of crawling instead of soaring. So chapter 2, discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, first, let's define what is a disciple. Form of the word, right? What is a disciple? Webster's Dictionary defines it as this. It's a disciplined follower of another. So then, as Christians, we need to be disciplined followers of Christ. We need to be someone who is a, short list for you, loving Trusting, believing, obeying, follower of Christ. A loving, trusting, believing, obeying follower of Christ. So let's look at loving. What does it mean to be a loving disciple? Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Hold your place in Titus. We're going to take a look at what Jesus says is the picture of, or example of, a loving disciple. Matthew 22, we're going to start with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, <laughs> I find that funny. I don't know. It just kind of hit me funny. One of them, a lawyer. Here we go. Strong armor of the law, whatever it is. Asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They're trying to trap Jesus here. They're trying to get him to say something contrary to what they believed he should say anyway. What is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So to summarize, love God, love people. Pretty simple, isn't it? There's the commandment. The first most important and the second most important, love God and love people. So, the two most important qualities of a disciple is to love God and love others. It's, it's critical. That's just something that should be present in us. Our love for God will be a measuring stick to how much we love people. Number one was loving. Number two is trusting you don't have to turn there. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, You may know it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord to guide you and direct you. You ever go up in the mountains hiking with someone to a place you've never been, a very narrow path, and you've got a leader that's going to show you where to go, and you wait a minute, and you get in front of him, i got this covered, you know, just follow me. I know where I'm going, you know. No, if you're going to trust in someone to lead you, then trust them and follow them, right? So loving, trusting, knowing that they have your best interest at heart. They're not going to lead you into danger, okay? Trusting. Number three is believing. John 6, 35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So believe who He is and believe what He says. Do you believe He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent to earth to die for our sins so that we might have salvation, that we might have eternal life in Him? If you believe that, believe who He is and believe what He says. So we need to be believing. Number four is obeying. John 14:15 says if you love me keep my commandments. Now that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There isn't like a little inference in there. If you love me, well, you know, you might think about, you know, you might consider, you might you might not, you know, I don't know, but obey my commandments. No, it's not saying that. Keep my commandments. Now we know we're going to fall short, obviously. When we come to Christ, we are not sinless in our life, but we should sin less. So loving, trusting, believing, obeying, and following. John 12:26 says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If we're not following him, we're not there where he is, are we? <laughs> it just makes sense. You know, if you, if you walk out of here today and somebody says, follow me, and you stay in here, eventually they're going to be someplace you're not. So, if you're following someone, you're there where they are. So, if we're following Jesus, follow him, let him direct your paths. Loving, trusting, believing, obeying, following. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. If we're loving, trusting, believing, obeying, and following Jesus, then that we should look like something. There should be something recognized. See, people would look at us and say, there's something different about him or her. There's, there's something special there. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, I warn you, this verse is a little convicting, okay? have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, Paul's, uh, this is referring to, they believe Paul's the author in, in Hebrews, but it's being referred to as milk, someone who's still drinking milk, and someone who's on solid food. Now, you don't take a newborn, we don't go back in the nursery, obviously, on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, try to stuff steak down this kid's mouth. You know, here, eat steak, chew it up. You know, no, they get milk or water or something that their body is able to consume without any danger, right? They're not ready to take in steak. They're not in, ready to take in solid food, per se, at that young age. So they get milk, and the milk is nourishment, and over time the bones get stronger, the, the child grows, and they're able to take on solid food. Same thing is true in our walk with the Lord. A brand new Christian... You know, you don't get with a brand new Christian and say, let's sit down and go through the book of Leviticus. <laughs> we'll study this and glean everything from it we can. No, you need to start with the basic things with them first. They need milk. But what he's also saying is here is a, do an assessment of your walk with the Lord. And an honest assessment of yourself. Are you on milk? Or are you on solid food? And where should you be? In Matthew 28... Verses 18 through 20, it says, Christ says to us, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them. He's exhorting us as believers in Christ, because we've already looked at what is the, the definition of a disciple, which is a follower of Christ, right? Having those qualities that we looked at, loving, trusting, believing, obeying a follower, to go and make disciples. Now, I know you guys are familiar with this verse, as we've all heard it for years, and it's not called the great suggestion, is it? (laughs) It's called what? The great commandment. And if it's a commandment, it's something that we're supposed to do. God has said, do this. Not kind to do this or whatever he says do this it's very clear so as I told you at the beginning of the teaching mom would holler up the stairs wake up, get dressed go to church first point, wake up (laughs) it's time to wake up what does God's word say what is God's word exhorting us to do let's wake up and understand this is what he wants us to do you are my disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make more of what you are. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's, it's a commission. God's commissioning us to do this. We talk Wednesday night about how there's two types of sin, basically. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, sin of omission is basically saying, don't do this, and then we go ahead and do it. So that's sin, right? Sins of commission is the Lord saying, do this, and we don't do it. So if you've got those things that he's told us to do and we don't do it, And we've got those things that he says don't do it and we still do it. Both are sin. Both have consequences. And the consequences for the body of believers, the consequences for this thing we call the church is Not making disciples will lead to unhealthy churches. And not making disciples will also lead to unhealthy disciples. Actually, disobedient disciples, right? If you break it down to its simplest form, it's like God said to do this. If we don't do it, it's in disobedience. So neither one of those is healthy. It doesn't help the church grow, and it doesn't help the disciple grow. It is an option to not do it in disobedience, but it's not an option in obedience. If we're being obedient, then it's something we should be doing. So you're thinking, okay, Pastor Jim, fine, fine. I get it now. By God's word, this is something that I need to do. I know what you're saying, but I don't know if I want to. I know that I'm supposed to, but I don't know if I really want to. I submit to you that your want to or your desire to is in direct proportion to how much you love, trust, believe, obey, and follow the Lord. Now, I want to take just a moment to, (laughs) I don't want you to feel like this morning I've got this staff in my hand as a shepherd. Okay, sheep, (laughs) just waiting for you to get out of line so I can smack you in the head or whatever. That's not my intent. I hope you understand that what I want to do is share with you what God's Word is saying in love so that you understand the role that He has for us. This is something that He desires for us to do. But, never think of it as something that you have to do. Think of it as something you get to do. Wow! Because of God's grace and the relationship that I have with Him, I get to share with others about God's grace and His love and what He's done for me. It should be a natural outpouring a natural outflow of of who we are in our relationship with the lord and and i know a lot of guys were probably like me there was there was a time in my life where i i was like if somebody came up and said hi um i'd like to know the lord could you teach me how i could know the lord and become saved you know and in my mind i'd go okay lord is this my opportunity to share with them is this where you want me to do that now you know We should be in a place where we're excited about and willing to share about the Lord wherever we are. It shouldn't matter because, again, it's something not only that he's commanded us to do, but it's something he's already built us to do. Knowing that God's commandments are God's enablements. You've heard Pastor Jeff say that before. If he is commanding you to do something, he's also going to give you the capacity to carry it out. He just is. He's not going to tell you to do something so you'll just fail miserably. Is <laughs> He's got something He wants you to do, He's going to give you the capacity to actually do it. So you could be asking, okay, then how do I do it? Titus chapter 2. That is where we are in case you've forgotten. Titus chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 2. That the older men be sober reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. That the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, and in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants, for us today, just think of, substitute that word with employee, okay? Okay. Exhort employees to be obedient to their their own employers, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So, I'd like to give you three points that hopefully summarize what discipleship is. First chapter was leadership, second chapter discipleship, third chapter relationship this all-important thing that we need to be involved with and doing in the church, what we call discipleship. Number one, it should be intentional. It should be intentional. It should be a focused purpose to accomplish something. This is something that I want to get done because God's directed me to do it. It's intentional. I'm doing this for a purpose. I drive to Burger King to get a Whopper. I'm in intentional, I'm going there to do this. So intentional, it's, it's all that we've looked at so far because we've looked at the fact that these are the things that we're supposed to do, right? Or not do. But also we saw in the Great Commission, it's, it's not really an option. He's telling us, do this. So we have to pray. We have to be in a place where we say, Lord, I know that you will enable me to do it, but Lord, I'm praying right now that you give me the, even the desire to do this that I intentionally want to do this. It's also relational. So it's intentional and it's relational. Meaning, investing in someone else. Investing in, loving on someone else. Investing in their growth in the Lord. Whether it be in a group or one-on-one. One. I personally like doing it one-on-one. I think it's just a real good way to get to know somebody. The accountability thing can take place there between the, the two people that are doing it. We see the scripture in the Old Testament where it says iron sharpens iron. So you'll find as you do that with someone else that you're being discipled as well because you're learning from them as they're learning from you. It's a two-way street. It's, it's just very healthy in your walk with the Lord. So it's intentional. It's relational. Okay, well, I, I can accept that, but who, who, who would I do it with? Pray. Ask God to reveal that to you, who that would be. So it's intentional, it's relational, it's also foundational. You, yourself, showing them an example and being that example of what it is to be of someone who is a disciple of the Lord, someone who is a follower of the Lord and in love. So, Loving, trusting, believing, obeying, and following them. Teaching them those things. Teaching them, praying with them, nurturing them in sound doctrine. Nurturing them in all these things that we've been looking at already anyway. And encourage them uh, to good works. So intentional is something that we've pretty much much laid the foundation for already. That is just obeying God's commandments. Intentionally obeying moving forward and doing something that the Lord has told us to do. We are to do this. Relational. Think about it this way, that God's more interested in our availability than He is our ability. We could have all the ability in the world, just be very talented at so many different things, but if we aren't available to do anything with that, it serves no purpose, does it? Nobody's benefiting from that whatsoever. If we're not available, we've got to be available. And then, where do we get the ability to start with? Well, that would be God, and I don't know that He's going to be all that impressed with that ability, since He's the one who gave it to us, right? So, more important to be available. But also understanding that if we do make ourselves available to do it, God will give us the ability to do it, just like we said before. His commandments are His enablements. So, are you willing to invest in someone? There's a, a thing about Jesus and His ministry that sometimes we miss, I think, because we see that He had His 12 apostles. We know that He ministered to hundreds, thousands of people during His years of ministry. But we also know that He had 12 guys that He was very close to, the apostles. And He invested in them. He spent time with them. He taught them. He showed them things. He loved them. We look at them sometimes and we think, yeah, but boy, they were sure dumb in a lot of cases, you know, but... If you're thinking that way, think of the apostles as a mirror and you're looking into it going, oh, (laughs) I look a lot like those guys too. So he had the 12 apostles that he invested in and spent a lot of time with, but he also had three guys that he spent some extra time with. These guys kind of got to see and experience some special things. You know, Peter, James, and John. They just got a little extra. I I don't know why. I can't explain that. I just look at it and go it's obvious that he invested in them. That was something that he wanted them to experience for whatever reason. So those three were, were kind of the inner circle, if you will. They got to experience a lot of neat things that uh, the other, uh, it would be nine, wouldn't it? <laughs> the other nine didn't. <laughs> Math is not a strong point, okay? <laughs> but he invested in those three, but he had one that was really special, and that was John, young John. What do we know about him? Uh, Well, we know that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was said about him. We see that in John chapter 13. We also know that when Jesus was on the cross, John was there. He happened to be the only apostle there as well. And Jesus said to John in relation to Mary, Jesus' mother, son, here is your mother. Mother, here is your son. So, He trusted John as well, didn't he? It was something that, hey, here's a task that I'm leaving now. Can you watch over uh, my mother? So John was very special to Jesus. And I think there's a picture there for us. Obviously, we always want to need to be in a place where we want to minister to whoever we can. We just do. But there's also, maybe there's that group of people that you have a common interest with, that you just naturally... uh, get along with or whatever it is that you that you're with a lot or whatever the case may be and so you have that opportunity to minister to them it's a smaller group isn't it but you may have just that one that just really seems to gravitate towards you or to you to them that you can really invest your life in and teaching them the things of the lord so also in verses two through ten we see that there's the reference to older men older women Younger men and younger women. So look around the room and you'll see that you're older than some. You're younger than some. Some are older than you and some are younger than you. Older is not necessarily age-specific because in God's economy and in our walk with the Lord, older could mean maturity in the Lord, couldn't it? So you could have somebody that's fairly young but... Man, they just seem to—they really seem to have a solid walk with the Lord. They seem mature in the Lord and in the way that they walk out their life. So it doesn't necessarily mean age, although it can, because um, I'll speak to the ones that are older. Us that are younger are still, you know, learning this lesson. But those of you that are older, (laughs) uh, you know that you've had life lessons as well, and if you've been walking with the Lord and you've been going through those things in life that you're able to share those things as well with somebody else. You know, I was going through a time similar to yours, and this is what God showed me, so you're able to uh, you know, give them that direction from that. So it's not age-specific. It, it can mean just more mature in the Lord. So if I were to ask by a show of hands, then, real quick, who are the older women here? Oh. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. But if I were to ask who's the younger women here, we might get full support on that one, right? Eileen, thank you. (laughs) So, I I was looking at that I said, should I ask that, you know, and it's like, well, I'm not going to ask it in a serious tone because that's just not good wisdom to go there, you know. But remember that if you are His disciple, you have God's given capacity to disciple somebody else. But you need to understand that even with that age, even with that maturity, you should be being discipled yourself. You should be in a place where you're always learning and you're always growing in the Lord. It's not just as, well, I've arrived at this level of spiritual maturity and now I just want to impart to all those that are lesser what my knowledge and the things that I can share. You never want to get to that point. Uh, you'll find... Uh, pastor Jeff, we, the church has been here for 15 years. He was an assistant pastor for that. Over 20 years, he's been involved in the ministry. And I know that he's got guys that he listens to on a regular basis for his own growth, to stretch him and grow him. I'm the same way. I've got guys that I like to listen to. And so uh, it's very important that as someone who disciples, you are still being discipled so that you don't you know, you don't get to that point where you think, okay, I've got it all together and... Uh, I can wear one of those big robes now that you see a lot of those guys do. and You know, <laughs> I don't know if that's the way they walk, but you get the point. We just don't want to get haughty. We don't get a prideful in that because we need to realize that it's God who has done the work in us. We need to always be in a place uh, you know, where we're learning from Him. So be discipled why you are discipling others. So it's, it's intentional, discipleship is. It's relational, and it's also foundational. So think about this. When it comes to building projects, the part that takes the most energy, work, and planning is what? The foundation. Once the foundation is laid, then the builders can come and begin to erect the structure. But without a solid foundation, the rest of the building will be unstable and prone to endless repair and, and uh, problems you know, throughout its lifetime. Much of the energy that we spend in repairing our lives can be avoided by starting off on the solid foundation of God's Word. And we're all so blessed, and I mean all of us, to be in a place where God's Word is taught. Because there's so many places it's just not. They teach about God's Word, but they don't teach God's Word. And you know here, having been here any time at all, we teach the Bible verse by verse. We go through that so that we can build up the saints. So, Jesus said that the wise man builds his foundation upon the rock, which is himself. And this is the person who hears the word of God, which is Christ, and obeys it. So we are to build our lives upon obedience to Jesus Christ and what he says. Jesus is our foundation. He's our rock. When the builders begin preparing the land for the foundation, not much progress is seen. It's hard and time-consuming work to lay the foundation. However, when that important task is completed and the builders then start to erect the walls, the progress is more noticeable and it takes place at a faster rate. In making disciples, equipping others is the beginning of the process of laying the all-important foundation for whatever God has for that individual when he will serve in the body of Christ. So laying the foundation, those foundational things, the sound doctrine. This is what God's word says. This is how God's word says that we are to live. This is what we are to do. This is what we are to be. So what does Titus chapter 2 tell us to do in discipling one another? What we just read. Older men teach the young men. Older women teach the young women. We do see that that is gender specific, isn't it? It doesn't say older men teach the younger women. I'm sure that there's guys out there that would like to do that. But the scripture says no. Older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. And so those... What we're supposed to be doing, those life lessons that we're supposed to be teaching them in light of God's word, is listed for us there. And they cross over. Obviously, men don't have to be respectful of their husbands. <laughs> Hope that's a given. Right? It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, okay? So let's keep that straight. But there's so many of these other things that we see here that do apply across the board, man or woman. So for the young men, it lists things like be sober-minded, be reverent, be respectful, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, in patience, a pattern of good works, sound doctrine, integrity, incorruptible, sound speech. For the women, we see a list, and it says, teach them to be reverent, not to slander, not given to much wine, teacher of good things, teach them to love their husbands and love their children, teach them to be discreet, to be chaste, homemakers, good, And obedient to their husbands. That's kind of a touchy subject there. I know. Be obedient to their husbands. God is exhorting them to do that, so that He's not they're not misrepresenting Him. You see, God wants us to be obedient. So if we're not being obedient to uh, wives, aren't being obedient to their husbands? God's love is saying, "Don't don't misrepresent me." Uh, you know, in front of others in that way. So, we're both supposed to be obedient, men and women, well-pleasing, not mouthy. I I say that one because it says not answering back. And how many of you have kids? (laughs) It's happened, hasn't it? You know, (laughs) sometimes kids can be mouthy. But, we even as adults can get pretty mouthy. We saw, we read the scripture about exhort bond servants and we substituted the word employees didn't we we can get kind of mouthy when it comes to our bosses maybe directly or indirectly to them so we need to be careful of that don't be sassy (laughs) that's my mom used to say you're being sassy so not pilfering and always show good fidelity which is a devotion to obligations duties and tasks so show good fidelity now teaching them to do all of that, what does it look like to others? Let's say that we were that Christian, that object that's almost reaching perfection, which none of us will get there, right? At least this side of heaven anyway. Uh, What does it look like to others? You can see those qualities at work in somebody's life. You just go, well, they're just a, a really good person. Well, they just seem to have, you know, they're wholesome, they have good morals and all these different things. And as they get to know you more, then they would begin to understand it goes way beyond that. I'm not just a good person. Actually, I'm a sinner. (laughs) If you really want to know what I am, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God and God's working these things out in my life. So, teaching them to do that, what does it look like to others? Verse 10, important verse. It says, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn The doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorn. Webster's definition of adorn is to enhance the appearance of, especially with beautiful objects. And you know when you've seen that uh, people are dressed up real nice. (laughs) In fact, I already had one comment this morning. You look nice today. Well, thank you. I'm not wearing jeans. Normally I wear jeans and it's like I guess slacks are adorned. I don't know. (laughs) Adorned. Dressed up in, clothed in, looking good in, if you will, a reflection of the sound doctrine of God. It says, I'm adorned in the sound doctrine of God. Not misrepresenting, but representing God. Dressed up in what? Adorning in these things that we see listed here. For the man or the woman, both, these things that we see should be evident in our lives. So, mom at the bottom of the stairs, Jim, wake up. We looked at wake up, right? What's it now? Get dressed. Dress up. Okay? Wake up. Dress up. So, we are supposed to adorn ourselves in the sound doctrine of of God. So then, for the encouragement of all of us, let's finish the chapter now, verses 11 through 15. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works for good works good works speak these things exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one despise you so he ends that section there in this letter to Titus by saying Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Again, it's, it's for Titus, but it's not just for Titus. It's for those elders that he'll appoint. It's for those that will be leaders in the church. Those people that will go out to make disciples. Those that will be discipling them. So, uh, do these things and let no one despise what God has called you to do. If God has called you to do this, then then go do it. And don't let anyone despise that. Look at it as I'm moving forward, discipling someone in sound doctrine. And it's a good work. It's a good work. And I'm in that. I'm exhorting them to do good works. So each of us here today, we're in this unique place. As we do an assessment of ourselves this morning, as we look into our hearts, as David said, Lord, search my heart and know me. If we're bold enough to say that this morning, we would recognize that there are those of us here, a lot of us, hopefully most all of us, that that do have relationship with Jesus Christ. We already know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then there might be some here that do not. We had someone in the first service that did not, and they made a profession of faith. Praise God. That was just, what a blessing. We also have, given the lesson this morning, I hope, <laughs> those who now would like to be discipled. That you do that assessment, that honest assessment of your walk with the Lord, and you say, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that I personally am really ready. I don't feel like I'm that mature believer that would go out and disciple someone else. I feel like I need disciples. I need those foundational things to be uh, taught to me and be present in my life. Then there are those of you that might be questioning, well, I don't know, after everything he said, maybe maybe I should be discipling someone. Maybe God has taken me on a path where I've reached some level of maturity where I can actually pass that on and teach and encourage someone else in love. Now I don't want you to get me wrong. We are not like the church at Crete. Do we have people in churches today all over the country that you'd say, Mm, might fit some of those categories. Yes, of course. I mean, we're not, we're not perfect. We fall short. We know that. But discipleship is going on at Calvary Chapel. It's going on in Sunday school with the children. It's going on in the youth, uh, in Bible studies that are taking place during the week, women's uh, studies, men's studies, uh, small groups, and certainly not discounting at all discipleship is coming forth from this pulpit every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night as we're being taught God's word we need to understand that that groups of people gathering together to grow in their love for God, his word and for each other remember those three things that we talked about what were they we're looking at chapters 1, 2 and 3 leadership discipleship and relationship right So, we need to be doing those things intentionally, relationally, and foundationally to grow. And if we're doing those things, by Paul's description here, to Titus, then that's what a church should look like. So, wake up, dress up, be the church. Be what God has called us to be and what we see here. So to make disciples who are trained up and equipped to disciple others as God has commanded. If you're interested, let us know. We'd like to get you involved with that.